Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is October the 12th. It is Friday. And uh, here we are at the uh, beginning of the autumn season. It's certainly starting to feel like autumn in New York, but uh, don't worry, I won't sing uh, the words to that song. Uh, you may not know it, but I made lots of money with my singing. People used to pay me a lot of money to not sing, so I won't you know, impose that on you. But I do thank you for joining me, Uh, no matter where you are. Hopefully you're doing well. I hope the folks down in Florida are doing okay. Certainly devastating storm ripping through um, that state. But here in New York, uh, we're beginning the the fall season. And um, here we are trying to play the game of catch-up with all the crazy stuff that's going on in the United States, even as Election Day is rapidly racing towards us. So I thank you for for being here with me, and we're going to try to provide you with the information on my program that you're not going to get in the mainstream media, because quite frankly, we've gotten to the point where the mainstream media is anything but news, at least where immigration and related issues are concerned. And this issue, immigration, is pivotal in so many of the challenges and threats that America and Americans face today. And that's not a statement of xenophobia. It's not an anti-immigrant statement. It's a statement of reality. But we've got to make clear distinctions between lawful immigration and illegal immigration. And that's the distinction that the globalists want Americans to stop making. And in order to get them to be uh, so unwilling to accept that difference, we've seen for decades, beginning with Jimmy Carter, the Orwellian use of language so that all aliens are declared immigrants. And if you would dare suggest that we keep any alien out of the United States, whether they're criminals, whether they're terrorists, whether they're gang members, doesn't matter. You get labeled as an anti-immigrant xenophobe or as a racist or as a bigot. Nothing could be further from the truth, but this is the fake narrative You know, America uh, is the most welcoming country on the planet. We admit roughly a million lawful immigrants every year. That's more than the rest of the world combined. And the issue is to look at the way that the system has failed to keep out the criminals and the terrorists and to address those vulnerabilities. No one is suggesting shutting down immigration. Uh, I mean, some people perhaps have. But what we really need to do is to have a system in place that does not um, permit criminals and terrorists to enter the United States. And when they do, then we need to have the resources to identify them, arrest them, and make certain that they don't hurt anybody. How in the world this could be a controversial issue uh, defies my understanding. Perhaps those of you out there can understand it, because I can't. How in the world could anyone fall for the notion that it's somehow immoral or unconstitutional to secure borders of a country. Sovereignty is constitutional. 
And just before airtime today, I got an email from the editor over at The Social Contract. I'm working with them. The fall edition will be coming out within the next couple of weeks. My understanding is that the quarterly journal, The Social Contract, will be headed to the publisher next week. I have the lead story. I called it Sanctuary Country because of the lack of resources for interior enforcement, the lack of ability to enforce our laws and protect American Americans. And so he sent me this this news blurb, and uh, undoubtedly I will write about it, probably for Front Page Magazine. I do a lot of my writing there. Those of you familiar with me know that I do. But apparently the ACLU is at it again. And I used to be a big fan of the ACLU. Whatever happened to the notion of I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. These days, the ACLU has the attitude that if they disagree with you, they will bombard you with lawsuits, lawyers, and make your life hell because they disagree. I've seen that too many times. Freedom of speech is under attack. Freedom of speech is central to democracy, central to this republic that we call the United States of America. And the ACLU is up in arms because House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and I'm reading now from their website, this is, again, the ACLU website. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy introduced a bill today that includes provisions to violate the constitutional rights of immigrants and inflate the Department of Homeland Security budget. The bill would allocate $23.4 billion for a border wall, which even members of the Republican Party have referred to as a quantum leap in funding. Well, yeah, it is a quantum leap. I don't know how it's even they. Of course it's a quantum leap, and that's accurate, and it's necessary. The sweeping bill would also include several bills previously introduced in the House that raise serious constitutional concerns. It seems that any time anyone stands up and says, let's enforce immigration law, the fallback position, talk about the Constitution. It's unconstitutional. We heard it when, when DACA came up. Some judge said that it was unconstitutional for the president to stop DACA. How about if we look at a, a part of the Constitution that everyone seems to forget, and it's Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution, and it says this, The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on the application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. Invasion, by the way, is in part defined as the unwelcome intrusion into another's domain, an incursion by a large number of people or things into a place or sphere of activity. That's an invasion. I would submit, folks, that if you have millions of foreign nationals in the country who trespassed on America, evaded the inspections process at ports of entry, or violated the terms of their admission, then this constitutes an invasion. And the Constitution promises every state protection against invasion. So how in the world is it unconstitutional to say, you know what, if you want to come to America, that's fine, we're happy to have you, but you have to go through a port of entry. That's what the border wall does. It doesn't stop anybody from coming here. 
It just makes certain that people and materials being brought into the country don't get smuggled into the country. Don't circumvent the inspections process required by immigration laws so that the inspectors at the ports of entry, the folks who work for Customs and Border Protection, have that brief opportunity. I can tell you it's a very brief opportunity. I was an immigration inspector for the first four years of my 30-year career with the INS. And usually you were expected to make a yay or nay decision in a minute or so. Uh, obviously, we don't do well because every year more than a half million illegal aliens fail to leave the country, uh, more than a half million um, non-immigrant aliens, forgive me, not illegal, but half million lawfully admitted temporary visitors, non-immigrant aliens fail to leave when they're supposed to. So obviously, the system doesn't work as well as it should. But all that the wall is designed to do is not to prevent immigrants from entering America but to make certain that everyone who enters America is inspected. That's all that the wall does. It's the same way as putting locks on your doors and windows so that you don't have intruders rampage through your house while you're asleep or while you're away. That's why we have door locks. That's why we have burglar alarms, burglar alarms. You talk about the wall and everyone goes crazy, anti-immigrant. No, it's not anti-immigrant. The wall won't stop anybody. It's just designed to funnel everybody through ports of entry so they can be inspected. The, the gate around the White House doesn't prevent visitors from going to the White House. It prevents individuals from rampaging across the lawn and attacking the White House. It's a defensive measure so that there's an orderly process where you can be vetted before you enter the property. We do it at schools. We do it at factories. We do it at houses. We put up fencing so that people don't trample on the lawn, and so they knock on the front door so you can decide whether or not to let them in. That's all that the border wall is designed to do. That's all that it would do. It's not about keeping people out. It's about making certain that everyone who wants to come in is inspected because we, believe it or not, have a problem with people that run the border to evade the inspections process. And the inspections process is simply designed to keep out criminals, spies, terrorists, aliens with dangerous diseases, and aliens who would uh, compete unfairly with American workers. That's all that the laws are about. There's nothing about race, nothing about religion, nothing about ethnicity, nothing about Latinos or Chinese or Anglos or Africans. It's simply about, uh, and you can go to Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182. It's very clear. The categories for aliens to be excluded, aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, mental illness, criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, aliens who have committed visa fraud, aliens who were previously deported. And then we get to aliens who have no permission to work, and if they work, would likely displace Americans or aliens who would likely become public charges and would cost the taxpayers lots of money, money that we need for helping Americans. That's all that we're talking about. So understand, the wall is not designed to keep anybody out. It's just designed to funnel everybody through a port of entry where they can be inspected. What a horrible notion. You mean people really have to be asked about why they're coming to America? We just can't have mayhem at the border? Just understand this. The wall is not 
going to be there to block ports of entry. Menendez running for Senate from New Jersey, that, that genius, that, oh, my God, this is going to interfere with commerce. Folks, a border wall doesn't interfere with commerce, at least not legal commerce. So if there is a member of Congress or if there is a member of the Senate or if there is a local mayor who opposes the border wall, what they're really saying is they oppose the inspection process at ports of entry. We want mayhem. We don't want anybody asking anybody who comes here why they're here and identify them. We just want them to come on down and let's have chaos and anarchy. If you're opposed to the wall, you favor anarchy. It's just that simple. The wall is designed to have an orderly process so that everyone coming in is questioned by an inspector, a record is made of their entry, and if someone is a fugitive from justice or someone is a known terrorist, um, then we, we keep them out to protect innocent lives. Who in their right mind would be opposed to that, you see? But again, this is the language, this is the lie, this is the foolishness, this is the craziness that we're being told. The border wall is racist. Why? Does the wall discriminate? No. Does the wall keep people out of the United States? Well, only those who refuse to be inspected. And, you know, Chuck Schumer is very clear on the position. He thinks that people who trespass should go to jail for five years because he wants a new federal law that would make trespassing on critical infrastructure or landmarks a five-year federal felony. Well, if you run across the country's border without being inspected, you're trespassing at the very least. So you would think that Chuck Schumer would be all in favor of the wall, but of course Chuck Schumer isn't in favor of anything that has to do with immigration law enforcement. But Chuck Schumer is, I understand Chuck. See, everyone thinks that Chuck Schumer is this big, powerful member of the United States Senate. He is the leading Democrat, the minority leader. They use the term minority leader because the Democratic Party is in the minority. Hopefully they will stay there. And full disclosure, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm not being partisan, but I am being furious. I'm furious at what the Democrats have been saying about immigration. I'm furious that Governor Cuomo of New York would refer to ICE agents as, as thugs and that he would prosecute ICE agents for doing their jobs. I'm furious that Nancy Pelosi went bananas when President Trump referred to MS-13 as vicious animals, and she said, oh, my God, you can't speak about these people that way. They have the spark of divinity. Right. These are the individuals who say that, uh, that their slogan is rape, murder, and, and, and control. And who are they raping and murdering? Teenage children, and sometimes children even younger than that. But that's okay for Nancy. You can slaughter kids in America. That's okay, because we need all these quote-unquote immigrants. And if they rape and kill and pillage, so what? It's the cost of doing business. I'm sure she has armed guards protecting her. But the other folks, well, America can afford to lose some people, can't we? I mean, that is how their attitude comes across. They are so cavalier with innocent lives and so protective of people who are vicious killers and drug dealers. I want someone to explain this to me. I want to know what the hell happened to the Democratic Party. But you see, part of the problem is, is that Chuck Schumer is an employee. He's an employee because he accepts money. You know, if you look at the labor management relationship, the employer pays people to do their bidding. 
Isn't that the way it usually works? You go to a job, hopefully you have a nice boss, maybe you don't, God only knows, and your boss says, hey, Charlie, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and you do it because at the end of the week or at every end of every other week, your boss gives you a paycheck. So you put up with his crazy stuff, you put up with all of his idiosyncrasies because you need the paycheck so you could pay for the luxuries, you know, rent, food, electricity, uh, maybe a bus fare to get to work, whatever. So you put up with your boss to get a paycheck. So who's the boss? The guy that signs the check. Who is the employee? The guy that cashes the check who is given by the employer. Chuck Schumer and all these other politicians take money from various special interest groups. The Koch brothers, George Soros, doesn't matter. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So when Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Bob Menendez, and we can go down the list of Republicans as well, no different, Paul Ryan and all the others, when they take money from special interest groups, the special interest group becomes the employer and they become the employee. Now, moral politicians wouldn't accept money from organizations that they disagree with. But I assure you that lots of politicians from both parties are taking money from their employer, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, or the American Immigration Lawyers Association, or various religious groups that get paid quite a bit of money to take care of refugees who come to the United States. So lots of money involved, lots of politicians getting money to run their campaigns, but they know that without money they can't win office. So they're dependent on those checks to be able to fund their campaigns. So they have an employer-employee relationship. So when the U.S. Chamber of Commerce calls up Chucky and says, hey, Chuck, this is what we want you to say, he knows that his employer just told him what he has to do to earn his check. So Chuck says, okay, what do you want me to do? And they say, no border wall, because we need cheap labor, and we don't care that they're illegal. We don't care what they do. We want cheap labor. If you want us to fund your campaign, that's what we need you to do. So he looks at the situation and says, I'm going to do what my employer wants me to do. And then Chuck comes out there and goes crazy about immigration law enforcement because he's paid to do that. Nancy Pelosi is paid to do They're all paid to do this. As a federal agent, I was not allowed to take a cup of coffee when I was on duty because the whole point was it might influence the way you did your job. But you have politicians who are taking the money and reacting to the money doing the bidding of their employer, the guy that writes the check. That's what we're dealing with. So when you say, well, how can they say these things? They want to keep their jobs. And in order to keep their job, they have these folks who give them campaign contributions, in essence, becoming their employers. So for all the power that everyone seems to think these politicians have, and they're all legends in their own mind, they are employees. They are the ventriloquist's dummy to the people who give them the money. And that's what you're witnessing. When Chuck Schumer gets a call from George Soros, presuming that he calls him directly, I am sure that he's all ears. I am sure that he's all ears. 
And so when people want open borders, the politicians who get those campaign contributions become advocates for open borders, even if last year they opposed it, even if a month earlier they spoke out against trespassing, illegal aliens are allowed to trespass because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce wants those illegal aliens. So suddenly the politicians who know better, who know better, but think, oh, my God, if I don't get the money, I can't win re-election. I better do what my employer wants, you know. I hate my boss, but I go to work in the morning because i got to pay the rent. That's the relationship between these special interest groups and the politicians who absolutely have no moral compass. They don't care that women are being raped, that children are being killed, that drugs are being peddled on our street corners. They don't care that uh, we're suffering through the heroin epidemic. They just don't care. What they care about is holding on to the illusion of power. It's an illusion because they're not really free to do what they want. If you are free to do what you want, then you really have power. Politicians have no power because if they disagree with the guy writing the check, the money stops, and they're liable to have to take a real job. Oh, my God, a real job? What in the world are you thinking? Why would they want a real job? when they can play pretend they're masters of the universe while the masters who control them send them the money to do their bidding. This is as sick and twisted a relationship as any relationship you're going to find anywhere in the universe. And this is what politics has become in America today. So look at the hypocrisy, and I wrote about it for Front Page Magazine. Look at the hypocrisy. The pile-on that went on with Judge Kavanaugh. Oh, my God, did he or didn't he do this to that woman? And then some other woman comes out of the woodwork, and she quickly disappears. It was like a game of whack-a-mole. They popped up, and then they disappeared again. They popped up, and they disappeared. But when did they all pop up? Just before the vote for Judge Kavanaugh. And who led the charge? Diane Feinstein, a woman for whom I used to have tremendous respect. I used to speak with her people right after 9-11, she was rational. She was doing a great job. She was the one who, two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center, there was a Judiciary Committee hearing on foreign terrorists operating in the United States. The hearing was held on February the 24th, 1998, and there was a rational Diane Feinstein saying, you know, maybe we should end the visa waiver program. It's giving terrorists opportunities to come to America. Maybe we should stop giving visas to aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Maybe, in fact, not even maybe, she was really adamant about not providing education, training in biochemistry, nuclear physics, and other areas for aliens who come from terror-sponsoring countries. And she cited examples of such individuals because she said, we're teaching terrorists how to create weapons of mass destruction. I thought, wow, Diane Feinstein, you go, get, go out there and go get them. Thank God you're there. What happened to Diane Feinstein? Here's a woman in her 80s. Her career is winding down. What legacy is she leaving behind? She's gone from being very bright, very decent, a crusader. <laughs> and now, now where is she? Where is she? That desperate to hold power for yet one more election? Really, Diane? 
is this how you want history to remember you? All those years of trying to do the right thing, I didn't always agree with you on every issue, but certainly on many issues you were spot on. What happened? Oh, my God, I don't want to lose my job. 85 years old. I don't think she's going to wind up on the unemployment line, but what do I know? This is the madness of power. These folks that will do anything to hold on to what looks like power. And, of course, with all the money involved, they certainly don't go to the poorhouse, do they? Dennis Hastert, former Speaker of the House, Republican, from what I read, came to Washington worth a couple of hundred thousand dollars, nine years, and I don't know how many children later. Uh, he went to jail, but now suddenly he's worth nine, ten million dollars. What was he doing, saving his congressional paycheck? The stench of corruption permeates the whole country. The stench of corruption. It's both political parties. Both political parties. It's never been this bad. I mean, at some point, doesn't anyone have the moral spine to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to prostitute myself. I'm not going to hurt my country. I'm not going to undermine national security. I'm not going to get people raped and killed on our streets so that you can have your open borders and cheap labor. Now, there's a few people that do that. My friend Lou Barletta does that. Congressman Steve King. There are a few. Far too few, unfortunately. We should have tens of thousands of ICE agents enforcing the immigration laws. We don't have them. Why? Because you have immigration lawyers both sides of the aisle, whether whether it's Bob Goodlatte, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Zoe Lofgren, used to be the ranking member of the Immigration Subcommittee, both immigration lawyers, both political parties. All they can think about is more clients for immigration lawyers, and let's, let's make the Chamber of Commerce happy, and, and so forth, and so forth. Now, the Republicans aren't nearly as bad as the Democrats, so Election Day, you can't vote for these Democrats, these wing nuts. But come on, guys, the Republican Party, wake up. You have a president who understood what the American people wanted. And yet even he was stymied because one of the policies that he came out with, and it's something that I wrote about, was to have the adjudications offices at Citizenship and Immigration Services issue notices to appear for aliens who, are, who apply for various immigration benefits, to be able to go to school or more time in the United States and so forth. But if you deny the application, then they need to leave. So he was empowering them to issue notices to appear, which is like a summons, like a cop gives you a ticket for speeding or blowing a red light. You need to see an immigration judge. So the idea is the alien either leaves within 30 days or 60 days, whatever the time limit is, or you're going to have to see a judge because you can't stay here anymore. By the way, think of all the screaming about that. So let's have an analogy, because I think analogies help people to see through the BS and the nonsense. If you've ever rented a hotel room, you know, you're going to, I don't know where, hopefully not Disney World, because they fire American programmers, so I will never go to Disney World. But you're going to go visit some family, and you, you stop by the Hilton Hotel or Ramada Inn or Holiday Inn, or the Red Roof Inn, and you say, I need a, a five-day reservation. I'm, I'm, I'm arriving on November the 1st, and I'm leaving on November the 6th, and, and, and here I am, and, and they give you the room, and you go up to the room, and everything is wonderful. 
And then while you're asleep, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, they go around and they slip the bill under the door telling you, check out, it's mid- is, is 12 noon today, please be out of your room by then so that we can prepare the room for the next guest. Nobody demonstrates. No one yells, oh, my God, I'm being evicted. <laughs> How are you evicted from a hotel? You, you, you said you wanted five days. They gave you the five days. The five days is up. You need to leave. Aliens who come to the United States for a temporary period of time, whether they come as tourists, whether they come working on on special visas, whether they're coming as students, they're all non-immigrants, which means they're admitted for a temporary period of time. When the time is up, they need to leave, just like you go to a hotel. Your time is up, you need to leave. You rent a car. You go to, to, to some car a rental agency, and you say, I need a car for five days. Okay. They give you the car for five days. They expect you to return the car in good condition after the five days are up. If you don't return the car, they're going to charge you with auto theft because now you're stealing the car. The car was yours for five days. Two weeks later, you're still driving the car. You stole the car. It's not your car. That's how it works. You have the car for five days or a month or three weeks or you lease a car. But when the lease is up, you have to return the car or you're stealing the vehicle. This is not difficult to comprehend until we get to immigration. And suddenly, common sense goes out the window, rational and reasonable thoughts go away, and everybody gets crazy. What do you mean you want him to leave? He's an immigrant. No, he's a non-immigrant. In fact, you see, isn't it interesting, the use of words and how it obfuscates the truth and the facts. An immigrant is lawfully admitted for permanent residence. A non-immigrant is here on a temporary visitor's visa, and they need to leave. Oh, my God, you want the immigrants to go home. You're anti-immigrant. No, I'm not anti-anybody. I just want aliens who are admitted for six months to leave before the six months are up. What's the problem? You go to a hotel, they give you the room for a week, they expect you to leave on the last day of your reservation so someone else can stay in that room. That's how it works. That's what the word temporary means. Just like temporary protected status. We allow people to stay in the United States because there was a tsunami, an earthquake, a volcano, political upheaval, whatever. And and, and 20 years later, we still have people here from countries that had catastrophes that have long since gone, came and gone, you know. What are we doing? Don't we understand the word temporary? Don't we understand lawful? Don't we understand borders and sovereignty? These are the words that the globalists are trying to remove from the vocabulary, from the vernacular. Let's obfuscate the issues. Let's go after Judge Kavanaugh because some woman who couldn't prove it claims that he did something terrible to her 30-odd years ago. And what's so remarkable, and I just wrote about it, the Front Page Magazine, so I hope you'll all go to Front Page Magazine, but wait till after the show. But I wrote this article, and and, uh, what I called it, it was just published on the 11th, the radical left sex crimes hypocrisy. They attack Judge Kavanaugh while shielding criminal aliens. So, so let's, let's look at, at, at what they did with Judge Kavanaugh. Okay? 
Judge Kavanaugh gets accused of sex crimes. They can't prove it. He's ultimately approved as a member of the Supreme Court. Now the Democrats are threatening they're going to impeach him. I'm not sure why, but why not? That's how insane we've gotten. It's not over till it's over, and it's never over because they didn't win. You want to talk about sore losers? This takes that to a whole new meaning. But even as the circus was in town in Washington with Judge Kavanaugh, on September 28th of this year, just a couple of weeks ago, an individual by the name of Ever Martinez Reyes, an El Salvadoran, is alleged to have attacked a woman on the lawn of her own house in Freeport, Long Island. And I'm very familiar with Freeport. I did a lot of work with the police up there, great people to work with, by the way. They have a big problem with MS-13. They don't think that this guy that they've arrested is, is linked to any gang, but what he did was follow her. When she got to her house, he followed her onto the property and knocked her down, beat her unconscious, raped her. She started to regain consciousness, and he beat her unconscious again and continued a vicious rape on her lawn. Incredibly, no one saw it somehow. This went on, allegedly, for an hour, and police officers who worked the case said this was the most savage attack they'd ever seen. She has vision problems because he broke at least one of the eye sockets in her head, according to newspaper accounts. Vicious attack. But everyone said the same thing. He had no criminal history. Yet he was previously deported from the United States in 2010. Or at least I think he was. Now, why do I think he was? Because the newspapers said he was here illegally. He was here undocumented and sent home. Is that like you went to school and you weren't dressed properly so you were sent home? There were words that we use in law enforcement. You don't say that the bad guy pulled a shiny object on a man. No, he pulled a knife, he pulled a gun, he pulled a, you know, a machete. They don't say a shiny object, a sharp thing. You know, we use specific language. A thing with bullets that come out of it. No, he had a gun. Okay? So what do you mean he was sent home? Was he deported or wasn't he deported? Now, that's a big question. Because if you're formally ordered out of the country by a judge, you could be facing up to 20 years in jail for coming back illegally. I helped Al D'Amato write that law when Al D'Amato was the senior senator from New York. That's how significant the words are. Now, he might have been allowed to return voluntarily. Well, if that's the case and he comes back, no crime is committed. But if he was ordered deported, he's facing two years in jail, maximum, if he has no criminal history, up to 20 in jail if he does have a serious criminal history. So even if he had no serious criminal history, he's still looking at a couple of years in jail. That's a felony. No criminal history, maybe no convictions, but the point was he was illegally in the United States, and the point was that there was nothing in the articles that I saw or the radio and television accounts that indicated that immigration enforcement even worked with the cops on the case. And by the way, here's another little factoid, if you will, this individual was apparently making plans to run to El Salvador to escape the long arm of the law. Fortunately, the cops out on Long Island grabbed him before he could get on an airplane and leave. That is an issue that's very serious. Criminals and terrorists from other countries have an escape hatch. 
They can get out of Dodge. They can get on an airplane and leave, and they're in the wind. And many countries don't work cooperatively with the United States to help us extradite criminals back here. So they leave, and they committed a crime, and they leave a trail of dead bodies or raped women or robbed banks, and nothing happens to them. They get away with it. They get out of Dodge because as aliens, they can go back to their home country, and if their home country doesn't like us, we're screwed, and they get away with it, which gives them an incentive to come to America to commit crimes because they know they have an escape hat. American citizens can't do that. Aliens can do that. And yet the Democrats are calling for the dismantling of ICE. Why? Why on earth would you want ICE agents to no longer arrest and deport criminals, including rapists? You're so concerned about women being raped, but you don't care to deport the rapists. Are you serious? Are you really concerned about women getting raped? Of course they don't care. Why would they care about women getting raped? They only care when they can use that allegation of rape against someone that they don't like politically. Then we're going to use it. Otherwise, no, the rapists can stay here. They've got to do something to keep busy, don't they? I mean, the guy was working as a day laborer. He was mowing lawns and doing day labor. Doing the work Americans don't do. Of course, I'm being sarcastic beyond belief. But forgive me, because my rage is someplace in the stratosphere. My rage is somewhere in the stratosphere. The reason that aliens come back to the United States after they're deported is because they know they can get away with it, and the likelihood that they're going to get caught is between Slim and none, and Slim just left the building. And why is that? Because we don't have enough ICE agents. Why else might that be the case? Because there's sanctuary policies out there so that even when police encounter them, They can't report them to the immigration agents. Does that make sense to anybody? I have to tell you, it certainly doesn't make sense to me. And I'm willing to bet it doesn't make sense to you, but that's where the Democrats are at. I get angry and frustrated with the Republicans. We need more ICE agents. We need much more, much more. And it was the Republicans that started this nonsense with the cheap labor. Let's go to where this all began. Cheap, exploitable labor. You know, there's always room for more oarsmen on a slave ship. And boy, the Republicans were right there. Let's help out the Chamber of Commerce. You know, Paul Ryan and, and uh, John Boehner, I used to call him John Boner. Let's, let's help the Chamber of Commerce. Those guys are doing the work Americans won't do. We heard enough of this garbage from George W. Right? We need a guest worker amnesty program. No, we don't. We need Americans to be paid living wages. And what's so ironic, if you stop and think about it, I know that the conservatives are all worked up. These kids are acting like communists on the campuses. And and, and look at Antifa. And and, and look at this lefty nonsense. Well, wait a minute. Why do people swing to the left? Yes, you've got radical teachers on college campuses. And yes, they're indoctrinating. And yes, they're not teaching about American exceptionalism. And yes, they don't want to talk about the great achievements that America's had and and how America has done so much good. And we we make our mistakes, too. But if you look at history, I'll put America's record against that of any other country. But part of why people find the appeal of the left 
is when they know they can't support themselves and they need help from the government. Now, how does that happen? When I went to college many years ago, the thought was that if you got a college education and you got a worthwhile degree, you were set. You weren't going to worry about food stamps or housing subsidies. You could go out and buy a car and buy a house because back then the American dream was a little house with two cars in the driveway. Lots of luck trying to buy two cars to put in your driveway if they're brand new today. Uh, Folks, we are now living in a country, and this is the first time that I've heard of this happening, where children don't expect to do as well financially as their parents did. That flips America on its rear end. When I was a kid, the American dream was that children will do better than their parents, and their children will do better than they did. America was climbing, and with it, our hopes and our dreams. Guess what? Gone. Now, how did that happen? Because we're importing more foreign workers than the number of new jobs that we create. We're importing ever more numbers of H-1B visa holders, which brings us back to what the president did, because the H-1B visa holders are exempt the program, whereby if they apply for a different job and they don't get the job, they're not going to get notified they need to leave the United States, believe it or not. Read my article, frontpagemag.com. And why is that? Because a joint letter that went out from all these CEOs, and not just Silicon Valley, although they're there prominently, but CEOs of other companies, PepsiCo and others, said to the president, you can't tell these people with H-1B visas to leave, and you ought to be allowing their children and their spouses to work. We need these hardworking foreign workers. We're trying to get Americans to work. Yes, unemployment is low, but underemployment is not low, folks. And I don't care what the administration says. There's apps out there now, it blew my mind, that says you can rent your neighbor's car. How desperate do you have to be that you're going to rent your car out to a stranger so you can pay your monthly car payments? When did that ever happen in America before? It's happening now. There's a program on that I was just watching, a documentary, America Divided. And this one was about housing in New York. And Norman Lear went around and did interviews with people. And J.J. Abrams, who did Star Trek movies and he's done other stuff, they're behind us. And they start out by talking about how housing in Manhattan has gone through the roof. And they they did say, this is the only place in, in the film that I saw this in the documentary, investors from overseas primarily China, are buying up Manhattan property. So condos are now going for $35 million. They put the money in the condo. They don't even move in. They don't even furnish it, but they own it. And they see it as a place to keep their money out of China in case anything goes badly. So they're buying up real estate, pushing up the price of real estate in Manhattan. The middle class can't live in Manhattan anymore. The lawyers and doctors that used to occupy these beautiful apartments, they're out. They can't compete with the, with the billions and billions and billions of dollars being pumped into real estate from overseas. So they're moving to Brooklyn. Guess what's happening to Brooklyn? They're moving to Brooklyn. Real estate prices in Brooklyn are, are going through the roof. But there's another action that's being done, and, and you're not hearing about this because this goes against the narrative. 
Real estate is all about supply and demand, and you don't create more land unless you're China building an artificial island in the South China Sea. There's a finite amount of land. So if you flood the United States with many more foreigners, they need housing. So they are now competing with Americans for the apartments, for the houses, for the land. What does that do to the price? It flies it into the stratosphere. It's gone. It takes off like a rocket, and it's finished. Why? Because there are so many people waiting for that one apartment that apartment prices are doubling and tripling overnight. What does this result in? Homelessness in New York. According to this documentary, 60,000 individuals are now homeless in New York. I think it's a higher number than that. And many of them are children. How do you think those kids are growing up homeless? How do you think that affects their ability in school, their sense of well-being, their sense of self-confidence? You're raising children in chaotic situations, and the outcome can't be good. I mean, some kids will succeed no matter what, but how many children who are on the edge will fall off the edge through that experience of homelessness? And how is this happening? It's happening because we're flooding America with more and more people who need more and more housing, driving up the price of houses, putting it out of the reach of many Americans, particularly American blacks, and they're being shafted by their own government. So look at what's happening. The Black Congressional Caucus goes out there, and they are advocates for illegal immigration. And what is illegal immigration doing? taking the bottom-rung jobs and jacking up prices, even in tough neighborhoods, and it's leading to gentrification, which is winding up with more people being evicted and becoming homeless. And again, where did it start? With a massive influx of foreign individuals. And not from one country or another, just in general terms. We have a finite number of apartments, more demand for the apartments, supply and demand, In a free market, what happens? If the demand increases and the supply doesn't keep up, the price goes through the roof. So housing prices are out of reach, and you have kids in college looking at what houses cost, saying, my God, when I get out of college, I'm going to have to pay off a student loan. How in the world do I pay off a student loan if I'm working as a school teacher in New York City making, let's say, $70,000 a year, and I have a student loan to pay off, How in the world will I buy a house? So they're looking for any government programs that would help them, maybe forgive the loans, maybe take care of them in other ways. So what you wind up with, and this is the reality, you wind up with kids in college looking at a bleak future and finding socialism sounding very appealing. Why is it appealing? because they know they can't make it on what they're going to be paid even when they get out of college with a degree. And who's causing that to happen? It's the right as much as the left. So this greed, we're going to make a killing today, the hell with tomorrow. We don't care about the criminals. All we want is more money and more money and more money. We've become the country that knows the price of everything, the value of nothing, And look at how this permeates through America and through society and how it's tearing this country apart and creating uh, a situation we've never seen before. 
American kids with lower expectations, pessimism about the future, desperate to find some way of making things work, and increasingly with this kind of economic pressure, guess who is reaching out to them, and it sounds okay given the totality of circumstance, and that's socialism. Is it a good thing? No. But but here we are. Now, add to this the fact that we are mechanizing more and more jobs. You have artificial intelligence and so forth. So you go to wind up with fewer jobs and more people chasing those fewer jobs. This is a downward spiral. And nobody wants to address the root cause of it, the lack of border security, a visa process that is manipulated by corporate America. They want the cheap labor and virtually no interior enforcement, 6,000 ICE agents for the whole country. This is not going to end well if we don't reverse direction. That's something that we, the American people, have to do. Because if you put all those elements together, the increasing number of foreign high-tech workers coming to America, displacing American workers, driving down wages, ultimately Americans will stop taking those courses. Why would you want a degree in computer programming and spend five, six years of your life getting an advanced degree, spending a fortune on tuition, and get out of college and find yourself competing with an army of programmers from India who will work for a fraction of the wage that used to be the norm in that high-tech industry? Eventually, American kids are going to look at the situation and, and say, you know what, this is hopeless. Why? bother why bother american exceptionalism will be gone america's position of preeminence in the world will be gone and understand that this isn't kind of like whether the yankees or the red sox win the world series because if the united states loses its position of preeminence china is a totalitarian country they're communists make no mistake you know, people say to me, oh, China, that's okay. They're, they're modernizing. They can do what they want. They have tight-fisted control over their people, even when their people come to the United States. I've written about it. And in point of fact, China now has a social system in place where they control their people through facial recognition technology. If you jaywalk, if you do other things that they don't want you to do, they can make your life hell on earth, and they do. They're totalitarian, and they demand absolute control over their people. That's who we're competing against. This is not a democratic republic, China. And believe me, they don't care about anyone's human rights. They are North Korea light. They really are. So we're playing with fire, and you have corporate executives that can't see beyond the next quarterly earnings statement. What's going to happen in five years? Who knows? Most of these CEOs and people like them, they float from one company to another. They just want to make money, more, more, more money, more profit, bigger bigger mansions, bigger airplanes, more money. But sooner or later, you have to pay the piper. And right now, it's the average American who's picking up the tab. We're picking up the tab with the violent gangs. We're picking up the tab with, with wage suppression and Americans losing their jobs, and people say to me, well, you know, because I favor 
a $15 an hour minimum wage. I tend to agree with it if you're working for major companies. If you're working for a mom-and-pop situation, that's a whole other dynamic. And people say, oh, no, no, we don't want to have minimum wage. This should be set by the, by the free market. It could be, but not when you bring in the third world, because at that point all bets are off. When you bring people into the United States who think $5 a day and a warm bowl of rice is a reasonable wage, don't tell me about free market. And that's what's really happening. So we're really treading on thin ice, and we've never been in this kind of a precarious situation before. This is a brave new world, and it's a scary new world, because it's leading to the destruction of the middle class and the American dream. Um, And we're in a situation where the First Amendment is very much under attack by the politicians, by the media. It's about controlling information. It's about altering thoughts and understandings of issues by the control of language. There's nothing politically correct about any of this. There's nothing reasonable or rational about any of this. And that's why it is so important for all of us as Americans to pull together, to not look at this divisive nonsense, Latino voter versus black voter versus this voter. We're Americans, folks. Americans. And what makes us more similar is far more profound and significant than the insignificant issues that might divide us. When people talk about Latino voters, and I've spoken about this before, they're demonstrating racism and stupidity. They're demonstrating racism and stupidity. Latino Americans are no different from any other American. If you think that some guy whose last name is Rodriguez has a whole different value system over Jackson, Smith, or Goldstein, you're a fool and a racist. All Americans want the government to keep our enemies as far from our shores as possible, get the criminals off the streets, and make certain that our educational system is capable of educating our children so that anybody willing to study hard, work hard, and benefit from a little bit of good old-fashioned luck can write the next great American success story, irrespective of superficial issues, race, religion, ethnicity, or gender. We all want that. Why in the world would a Latino American want MS-13 in school with his or her children? Why would any Latino American want to have to compete with farm workers for his or her job? But that's what the pollsters are saying. That's what these idiot talking heads on television are saying when they talk about Latino voters. This is a divide-and-conquer strategy, and the only people who could stop it are us, we the people, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. That's what built America, not this nonsense of pointing fingers and cutting us up into little pieces and sticking us in cubby holes. We don't belong in cubby holes, folks. This is our country. And we need to take it back from those who are stealing it from us. A long time ago, I wrote an article, and I called it the fencing of America. In law enforcement, a fence is a criminal who who sells stolen property. It's called fencing, selling stolen property. Don't ask me why they called it that. I'm sure there's a reason one day I'll have to find out. But a fence is a guy who sells stolen property. And that is where the politicians are today. They are taking the country, and they're selling it to the highest bidder, and we're all paying a price for it. I don't care how high the economic ladder you might be. If, God forbid, this country comes unraveled, 
we're all going to be in the soup together. We need to be united as Americans and be very clear. And this isn't about xenophobia. We need to grow spine. We need to demonstrate some real chutzpah. We need to make it clear that we don't have a problem with people immigrating legally to the United States, provided that the legal system has integrity and that jobs aren't taken from Americans and given to cheap workers from overseas. Because that's a race to the bottom. That's the engineered destruction of the middle class. That's why you're seeing this nonsense with the H-1B visa program. And disconcertingly, the Trump administration, at least for now, has buckled. They've said, okay, we're not going to issue those notices to appear to H-1B visa holders if they run out of time in the United States. We're not going to let Citizenship and Immigration Services do that to them. How did they become sacred cows? The immigration laws used to be the primary responsibility of the Labor Department prior to the Second World War because the whole idea was to shield American workers from unfair foreign competition. We need to get back to basics. We truly need to get back to basics. And the way to do that is for us, we the people, to be united against the common enemy. And the enemy is the political elite of this country from both parties. Because they're the globalists. They're the ones who want to import the cheap labor to placate their employers, the Chamber of Commerce, and all these other special interest groups that are globalists, whether it's the Koch brothers or Soros. They both want DACA. They both want all these crazy programs. And God help all of us if they aren't stopped. Because if you bring in a large enough number of third world workers, then what is considered normal circumstances for the third world will become the normal circumstances for the United States of America. Instead of America being the role model for Mexico, I hate to tell you, Mexico has become the role model for the United States. Look around you and ask yourself, if this is the future that you want, not just for yourself, but for your children or your grandchildren, this is the time to act. The handwriting is on the wall. It is clear that the American people are being sold down the river by the people that are elected to represent our best interests, and they're not. So please get involved. Uh, you know, having you join me every week for this hour is, is a good start. I hope the information I provide you is helpful. I hope you share it with your friends and neighbors. You know, be part of my bucket brigade of truth. But armed with the information, you need to go out there and get a hold of the politicians. You need to have conversations with your neighbors. The people who claim to represent us have to come to an understanding that we're not as foolish as they hope we are. This is the work that all Americans must do. And that's the reason that I always make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. Again, I thank you for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night, everybody. Have a great weekend.